Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Uh, good evening. My name's Melody. I'm an alcoholic. Um, yeah, am I touching it? Okay. But I want to touch it. Um, <laughs> if I go too fast, once I get going, I tend to, I'm on the rice, and if I go too fast, just stop me. Just say, slow down. Um, Melody Alcoholic. Um, I haven't spoken in a while. I'm a little out of, uh, you know, on this, but uh, I, I love Alcoholics Anonymous so much. Um, if this is an honor and privilege, and if somebody asks me, I say yes, and I come out. I hate dressing up. I hate putting on makeup. I hate putting on heels. I would rather be in scrubs or sweats, just, you know, but that's not what we do here. Uh, when they ask us to come out, they ask us to dress up and look presentable. Because in the old, I'm old school, you know, in the olden days, um, an alcoholic, uh, they were not looked highly upon, you know. In 1939, those guys weren't looking really good and weren't looked highly upon. They were still a, a degenerative society. And so what they did is they said, you're going to shoot up and show up and you're going to wear a suit. And you're going to wear a suit and tie. And that's, you know, I still try to go by that. When I take a birthday cake and when I speak, I try to wear a dress. Um, but all other times, I'm not. I'm more casual. Um, so I also like um, about Alcoholics Anonymous, it's kind of, you know, old school is like you share what it used to be like, what happened and what it's like now. And so I'm going to kind of generally try to share about that, and I hope that some of you can relate. And if you don't like me, that's okay. I have been to a lot of meetings in my life, and um, I have not liked every single speaker, but I have sat in my seat because they told me, when you sit down in Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you're putting insurance in does not drink. And there's going to come a day when you're going to feel like drinking, and that insurance is going to pay off, so you better not get up and walk outside the meeting. And I have done that consistently over my sobriety. Um, I uh, got sober in 1984. Um, uh, April 4th, 1984, so my birthday's coming up. Um, I will be 60 this year, so this is kind of an interesting year to be 60 and 35 all in the same year. And uh, um, I have a sponsor. She lives in Carlsbad, and she's been my sponsor for a very long time. And um, I have a home group, and that's Drunks Only. Um, and my sponsor has a sponsor, and those things are important to me. Um, uh, so I was born in San Diego. I was born at Balboa Naval Hospital. And uh, so I'm a Navy brat, and my father was in the service. He was in the Korean war and in, in World War II, and uh, he was a prisoner of war. Um, uh, that doesn't seem to be real cool, but, uh, you know, he did his time, and he came back a different man and uh, um, paid his dues for that. Um, so when, when I first kind of remember my father, my father had TB when I was born, and so he was on a ward in those days where he they took out part of his lung, and he had to stay on the ward for, I think it was eight months. So he didn't even hold me for the first, you know, almost year. Um, uh, but when I first kind of remember my father, I was about three and four years old, and I don't know why him and I, from the very beginning, had this thing, but we had this thing. Um, I think I remembered he, he was drinking. I was about four years old, and I remember him drinking drinking beer, and we lived in Claremont in one of those uh, old places. I think they were military housing, or they were old little duplexes. Um, but I remember him drinking, and I remember I remember taking a sip off his beer. 
I remember him smoking and taking a drag off his cigarette. I don't know what there was about that at four years old, but it's like, if he's doing it, I'm going to do it. Um, and then I remember one time I, I went shopping with my mom and, uh, uh, I stole some chiclets. And so, um, she knew something was up because I was hiding underneath my bed and that, you know, so she said, Mel, what did you do? And, uh, she knew it. And so she goes, we're going to go back to the store. And, but I took out some chiclets and I hid them. So I would, they're not getting all of them back, you know? So I was a liar, cheating, a thief at a very young age. And that just kind of set me up for being an alcoholic, I think. So, you know, around, I was like seven, eight, nine, there was a lot of problems in my home. I come from an alcoholic home and my, I don't feel like the, I, I do believe that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so, um, I was experiencing some of the things that go on in an alcoholic home. There was some craziness. My dad would come home, he'd start drinking, he'd pass out on the couch. Um, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand why my dad never held me. Like my dad never, I don't ever remember my father as a child ever picking me up and ever hugging me and ever telling me that he loved me. And I'm not saying that, that I'm a victim by that. I don't believe that, but that kind of set me up. I felt something was instinctively wrong with me from the get go. Um, and so when I took my first drink, there was a sense of ease and comfort that came from my first drink. Um, and, uh, you know, around the house, I remember at the dinner table, like, I'm a kid. I'm a kid. I'm talking about things that are going on during the day and the kids at school and stuff. And he was like, be quiet. We don't talk at the table. And I'm like, what the, what is that? You know? And so I couldn't talk at the table. So I'm this little kid that wants to talk and wants to share. And I'm kind of, I'm a Leo. We're loud. <laughs> you know, I'm like, so I'm talking with my hands and my dad's like, you stop. You know, he didn't want to hear anything. He was a military guy, had all of it all day and came home and didn't want to hear anything. Um, so we stayed out a lot. We stayed outside a lot where in those days, you know, that was the, the sixties growing up. And like, we were outside until, I mean, I'm not kidding. It, the lights would come on. It was 10 o'clock at night. The parents would open the door and say, get in the house. We're going to bed, you know, and would no, just five more minutes, you know, and you'd be riding up the block up and down the street and doing crazy stuff. And that was just how I grew up. Um, there wasn't, a, I don't remember doing a lot of homework. I, which proved later to be a little bit of a problem. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, we weren't doing homework. No one was going over anything with me. You know, like, this is how you do math. You know, this is how English goes. Um, so I was, you know, we were just growing up and stuff. And uh, I remember my mom and dad had some marital problems. Um, my dad would say to me, you know, your mom doesn't want to um, be with me. And I was like, I'm seven or eight years old. And I'm like, what am I going to do about that? You know, I'm a fucking kid. I don't. So, oh. Okay, one time. That's okay. That was a freebie. Um, uh, uh, we try not to cuss from the podium too. I, that MF is my favorite word, um, but we try not to cuss from the podium because we're supposed to be, you know, respectful of this thing that's up here. So I'm sorry I did that. Um, uh, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do here? I'm not responsible for this. I'm a kid. I'm not. I can't do anything about this. And I just grew up feeling really, really overly responsible um, for that stuff. And it, I think in a way I kind of got broken on that and I may still be, have some residual on that. And, uh, I don't know. It's going to still play out. I got another 30 years, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, and uh, I just felt like I didn't know what was going on. I didn't feel, I feel, I didn't feel a part of things. Um, I felt, I kept 
I just didn't feel like I fit here. From the very beginning, I had felt like I didn't fit here. I would look up at the sky and go, someday they're going to come back and get me because I'm not, I don't belong here. And uh, that just kind of kept going. And so, you know, I remember around fifth or sixth grade, um, there was a bunch of older guys and girls that would be up at the park near my house and my father would pass out and his wallet would fall out and I'd steal like a 20 and go up to the park and give it to the guys and they would go across the street and buy the beer and the beer would come back and you know it was one of those things they're like you got us some money here's a beer you know and I was like I was in I was in a group and uh, I kept doing that and um, I felt like you know I, I belong somewhere and um, you know I, I remember one time around you know fifth or sixth grade we got really stoned we were doing marijuana in those days and uh, you know I woke up and there was a canyon behind my house and um, I woke up the next morning in the canyon you know and you're like you know it, you know like ants are coming out your ears and your nose and you're like what happened how did that happen you know and I had to explain I don't know I'm in you know I didn't I, I don't know how anything happened you know so I was already blacking out at a young age and then my neighbor across the street who was she was a really good friend of mine her older sister um, was uh, in a relationship with this guy and they were shooting up barbiturates and we started hanging out with them and I was drinking and doing barbiturates and one of my funniest memories was like they took us bowling and in the back of the car we had been drinking did some barbiturates smoked some weed I'm like I don't feel anything and they're like okay take another one you know and I'm like okay so it was like we were in Claremont had to go to La Mesa to bowl and I got out of the car and I just went straight backwards and I was lying on the cement looking up the stars and I'm like I am home this is it. This is where I want to be. All my, this is all I've ever wanted was this feeling. And so I was chasing that for a while, you know, and, uh, uh, they just put me into the car. And then the next thing I hear is like all this commotion and somebody tried to steal one of those ashtrays because, because they thought it was really cool. The one that has the sand in it and you have to pick it up and carry it and it spilled all over the place and they were being chased out. And then we drove away. It was just, you know, that's how we grew up. Um, uh, and I remember watching him. He made us watch him shoot up uh, sometimes barbiturates, like cooking it and then shooting it up. And then he just went straight backwards and the needle fell on the floor. And I'm like, I'm having none of this. <laughs> that is not for me. I'm not doing that. Um, but I kept drinking and drinking went on to, uh, you know, high school. And in high school, um, we drank and I was a cheerleader and we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. You know, we would be drunk at football games and I was the worst at back basketball games because I didn't really care about it. So we would be like, oh, rooting for the wrong team, you know. One of my girlfriends was really drunk, and she did a herky, and then she she kind of snapped her ankle. And I'm, like, laughing because I thought it was so funny, which was so inappropriate um, at the time. But we were just – that's what we did, you know. And then you go into college, and uh, – um, I, one of the things that happened is I was trying to get into San Diego State and I was on the dance team and uh, I went to sign up and they go, oh, you didn't get accepted. I'm like, well, that's funny because I'm on your dance team. And uh, they go, no, your grades weren't good enough. You didn't get on the dance team. And I'm like, but if you were a minority or a male athlete and I'm like, what? I can't be those things. And they're like, well, you didn't get in. So I went into this huge depression and um, I all I did was like eat and just drink and gained like 30 pounds and uh, had to go to Mesa College, um, which is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> Mesa, you know, and then I, and then I finally had to, got to go into, uh, got to transfer over to a university. So I went to UCI for, um, uh, 
for theater. No, I was in dance at the time. And I, I loved dancing. I thought I was going to be the next Shirley MacLaine or the next Audrey Hepburn. Uh, or I, I, I love, or the Catherine Hepburn was my favorite. I thought someday I was going to be this actress. And, uh, that's what I wanted to do. Um, the only thing is, is I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> So I was dancing and in my first year, um, I fractured my back and in dancing, you know, I, it was on my lower lumbar and I was lifting something at school, like one of those wrestling mats. And I tried to, we rolled it up and I tried to lift it up onto one of the things that you would, you know, have wheels and things like that. And I heard a crack and at that, at the, that night I could hardly walk. And that kind of, that's your center. And it stopped for me, that dancing stopped and I switched over to fine arts and then I finished out with a degree in fine arts. Um, um, I, uh, um, I was drinking bad relationships, things a little bit. I wasn't really involved in relationships much. I was more because of my background. I'm a very shy and I don't really, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for a guy to fix me. I'm like, I can't fix you. So I don't want you to try to fix me. Just kind of keep your distance. And, um, uh, uh, but I was drinking and working, and uh, um, in 1983, uh, I mean, you start to start suffering consequences when you're drinking. Um, like you wake up and you don't know how you got home. Um, you wake up in somebody's bed and you don't know how you got there. Um, uh, I totaled my car one night. I was There was this guy in school that I really, really liked, and uh, um, uh, we went out and... Uh, I smoked some pot, which I had stopped when I was in, when I was in junior high. There was something about pot. When I smoked pot, my eyes close. And then you're like, you can't see to drive. And so it's like, well, I'm not going to do that. So I smoked some pot and, and then I was like, oh, now I can't see and I got to get out of here. And he goes, you can't drive home. And I'm like, no, I'm going to drive home. And this was a, this was in Laguna beach and I lived in Corona del Mar. And on the way home, I just remember my last thought. My last thought was like, I'm never going to get this. I can't do this. And I hit a telephone pole. And in those days there wasn't a divider. So, uh, the guy that, that, uh, came the tow truck driver he said i saw you talking to that guy he goes i knew you weren't going to be able to drive home i said don't say anything to the cops i've got this figured out i'm going to tell them what was going on and i was dancing at disneyland and i had pulled a growing muscle and i told the cop hey listen i pulled a growing muscle i had a glass of wine and i just i i had a vicodin earlier and that was the that was the 80s so he drove me home <laughs> It's a little bit different time. And so um, my car was totaled, but the next morning when I woke up, I realized I could have killed somebody the night before. I could have just gone straight over and killed somebody. And I just, that really didn't sit well with me. And um, I, uh, I um, uh, said in the morning, I said, um, I'm going to try to stop drinking. And that didn't last very long. That was less than 30 days. <laughs> We all have good intentions, but sometimes it just doesn't last very long. So I started drinking, and I went back to what I was doing. And then that year, I was uh, working at the Disney Loan Hotel as a as a waitress. We were drinking, having a good time. I we were all. I didn't drink much during my shift, but towards the end of the shift, the last thirty minutes, the last hour, you're like, we're going to get off. Um, let's start the drinking. So we'd start drinking people's wines you know, like what they wouldn't drink. And we'd start drinking the bottles. And then when we left, we'd go somewhere and we'd go like, like seven dead 10 people and everybody would buy around. And so I lived in Corona Del Mar and I would try to, we did this four or five nights a week and I would drive home 
from, uh, you know, Disneyland area and drive home. And I don't remember most nights that I went home. Um, one night that I went home in this place that I used to live in Tustin, um, I was driving home and I was thinking, I like their patio furniture. The next morning, the patio furniture was in my backyard. <laughs> I don't know how I got that in my car. I don't know if I made another trip, but I had patio furniture. And I remember my roommates, like, you know, in the morning when I woke up, they were like, how did this patio furniture get here? And I'm like, wow. Um, and I have a tendency to, you know, like if I like it, I want it and I'll take it. And I, it's that's still with me today. I mean, there are nights that I drive by Home Depot and I'm like, God, I could use a palm tree. And it's like... <laughs> Mel, we don't do that anymore. You know, you don't do that anymore. I haven't done that, for, I mean, for years, but I think I should have drunk only the other day. I needed potting soil, and on the side of the freeway, there was, like, soil, and I'm like, I'm in the middle of the night. I'm getting the soil in my car, you know. They didn't need it. It was just dumped there, you know. In Poway a couple of years ago, they had rocks on the side of the road, like when they're cleaning and everything, and there were rocks that they threw on the side of the road. I'm picking up rocks, you know. I want to decorate with rocks. It's just, you know little too much truth. <laughs> there were no cameras in Poway, though. Um, uh, so, um, so we were drinking a lot, and there was a relationship that um, I got in. Um, uh, it was, it didn't even last. It didn't, like, not even two months. Um, like most of my relationships. Um, but it, it was, uh, I really liked this guy and we were drinking a lot and he was using a lot. And, um, uh, one night, uh, well, the, the, a day after we got together, slept together on the first night, he goes, Oh, there's something I need to tell you. And I'm like, well, what do you need to tell me? And he goes, well, I'm married. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and he goes, well, separated. I have three kids. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, this just keeps getting worse. I'm not like that. That's not who I am. I'm not like that. That's not, you know, I'm not like that. Um, and I was like, well, when were you going to tell me? And he goes, well, I knew you wouldn't give me a chance. So that's why I didn't tell you. I'm like, but you're with someone. He goes, well, we're separated. And I'm like, that's still, you either clean it up or you're with somebody. And I made that okay in my head for some reason. And, um, I, we did that for a little bit of while. And then one night I was really, really drunk at a little party and stuff like that. And some things happened that I wouldn't wish would happen to anybody. And, um, the next morning I crawled out of the house with my head between, you know, just my tail between my legs and just like, I got to stop this. And, um, I went to him and I was like, you've got to stop the drugs or I'm not, I, you know, I'm not staying. And he goes, well, you can go. I don't need you. And something inside me broke. And it was, it was, I don't know if it was the accumulation of like growing up the way that I grew up, that I, that a guy that I had really valued, um, didn't want me, but something in me broke and I was drinking and every single night I'd get my bottles and I would drink in my room and I just kept thinking, I can't live this way. I want to die. I can't live this way. And I thought about jumping off bridges and not wanting to be here. And, uh, one night I, I cried out in the middle of the, you know, when I was drinking, I was like, God, please help me. And, um, that was like around November, December. And then I started to get into some therapy around, it was like February, March. And I was talking to the therapist about, you know, my life and stuff like that. And she goes, well, I think we need to stop drinking. And I was like, what? I'm like, I just, what? 
I just told you about my dad. He's the problem. And the guy, what are you, what are you talking about? And she's like, no, I think you might want to stop drinking. And she goes, this works a lot better when you don't drink because then you can wake up and kind of get to stuff. And I was like, that's not my problem. I just paid you a hundred dollars and that's not my problem. That's bullshit. That's ridiculous. Um, and she goes, well, why don't we just try it? And so I did try to stop drinking and, um, I was very uncomfortable. Um, I started to go to some AA meetings. Um, I went to a young people's meeting down in, uh, Laguna beach and this, uh, I was sitting in, I was sitting kind of close to the front or whatever. And this guy sat next to me, he was kind of cute or whatever. And, um, he goes, so, uh, how long have you been in AA? And I said, well, I'm just, I've been here maybe, maybe a couple of months, maybe, you know, not that long. He goes, well, how many meetings do you go to the week? And I was working, I was working nights as a waitress. And then, you know, you go to bed about two or three in the morning and then you sleep most of the day and then you start it all up again. And I said, I only go maybe to two meetings a week. And he goes, you're probably going to drink again. And I just was like, there was something, I just went, what? You know, and I was devastated, devastated. And I shut down. Um, I didn't say anything. I, 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 as soon as the meeting was over, I got in my car, I cried all the way home. I got home. And you know, like in those for me, I hadn't, I mean, I'd stop drinking, but you still have alcohol in the refrigerator because you never know who's coming over. You never know if somebody's going to come over and you need to give them something to drink. So I had alcohol in the refrigerator. And all night I got up and I'd go in, open the refrigerator, look. No, I'm not going to do it right now. And I'd go back to bed. And then I'd go back again and I did that all night. And in the morning, uh, my roommate who I had been in Overeaters Anonymous for a couple of years before and, um, I had taken my roommate who had had a drinking and uh, food problem a year before to a meeting and she got clean and sober. And she had told me during that year, I think you have a problem with alcohol. And I, I was like, Amy, I got you to a meeting and you're sober now. I don't have the problem. I think you're reading into this. And, uh, she, so she, so she had gone to to a 7 a.m. meeting and I went that next morning down on, um, it was on Balboa Island at the Alano Club and I went to that meeting every day for the, re- the rest of that year. Um, and in that year, when I say when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was a little tightly wound. I was a little tightly wound. We, in those days, we, you could smoke in a meeting and we could, we had coffee cups. And so there were ashtrays and my job was to put the ashtrays every two chairs and people would move the ashtrays, and uh, I was like, uh, you can't do that. <laughs> and they'd, like, look at me, and they're like, why can't I? I'm like, well, because we have a thing in the meeting, and you have to have an ashtray every two chairs. And th- they were like, Melody, you just keep coming back. You you, you just keep coming back. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I, and they, they knew not to really, you know, and I mean, guys would, like, try to give me a hug, and I'm like, back off. Back off. Don't. Don't even touch me. I'm like here for alcohol. I don't want you to talk to me. And they knew. They were like, eh, this one's a little, she's, she's a little tightly wound. Um, and then I got the coffee commitment where I'd pick up the cups afterwards. And, you know, people, there was a little sink and people could have poured their coffee out, but they didn't. They just put it on the counter. And so I'd go up to them and I'd go, Monty, you didn't pour your coffee out. And they're like, oh, don't, don't worry, Mel. You, you could, that's your job. That's okay. And I was, you know, so I'd go over and I'm like, you know, and they just, just keep coming back. And then I got to be secretary of the meeting. There was one time during that year that I had a little problem. Um, there was, uh, some drunk kids that came in and, um, um, this was upstairs and, um, some of the guys in the meeting, um, thought it was really important that they beat them up and take them outside, you know, like, 
you know, and I was, I tried to stop it. I tried to lay on the guy. I was like, don't get up, do not get up. And I was yelling at the other guy. And then I came in the meeting and I was like, how dare you not do anything? That's not how you treat drunks. And I stopped going to that meeting, but I started going to other meetings. I just felt really like that just didn't feel right for me. And so, I mean, still to this day, I, I, I think drunk people should be here, right? <laughs> That's who we are. <laughs> we are either drunk or we're sober, you know, and if we're drunk, it's okay. If you disrupt the meeting, that's where somebody that has time should go up to you and go, Hey, listen, you get this day, but you can't disrupt the meeting because what's most important is the message that's being shared. And if you disrupt that and people can't hear it, that that's not what we're here for. And that's the only thing that I've ever done to people in meetings when they're being really disruptive. I try to take them outside and try to talk to them about Alcoholics Anonymous outside the meeting. Um, so I got sober, um, and went on this journey and, um, this journey has been, a roller coaster ride. It is up and down sometimes. Um, uh, I went after my uh, first year, I was like, because of acting, I wanted to go to Europe and see how people lived and stuff like that. I wanted to see how people were in, in, you know, in, in France compared to Ireland, to compare, compared to Israel, compared to Italy. So I backpacked through Europe and I lived in Israel for about eight or nine months. Um, just seeing how, you know, people were and, you know, I, I, it was, it was such a rewarding opportunity for me. I mean, one thing that I learned is every country that I went to, kids do the exact same thing with a soccer ball. They play. We are very much alike. Culturally, there's some different things that go on sometimes. I love arguing with a Middle Eastern person because it's like really like, you know, it's, it's really exciting, you know, and I just, I learned a lot about people and I think that we're very similar. And we're also very different, but we're very similar. And we, we all want to be loved. We all want to have a family. We all want to be happy. We all want to own a home. We all want to work. We all want to have a, you know, there, we, there's a lot that binds us together. And that's kind of what I took away from that. And then I came back home and I tried to become an actress and I had a little problem with that. I don't like having my picture taken. Um, so. <laughs> I went up to LA and that did not work for very long. <laughs> I was like, no, you can't take my picture. And they're like, you can't get a job without a picture. And you're like, well, I don't want a picture. And they're like, well, this doesn't work that way. And so, um, I tried to get in the back door and that didn't really work. And so I went and I was waiting tables and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, what else do I want to do? What, what else sounds good? And I'm like, I have always, I know this sounds a little crazy, but I've always loved blood and guts. Like when I was a kid and I saw bloody shows, I was like, that is so cool. You know, when I'd see animals like with wounds and stuff like that, I was like, that is so cool. Look at the inside. That is so cool. And so I went back to school to become a nurse. And this is where that education thing came, comes in. So that was the hardest thing I ever did. Um, I cheated on math and English in, when I was in school because I'm like, I don't get it. I don't know what that is, you know, so I'm just going to, what are you doing? Okay. So, you know, and I do stuff like that. And when I went back to school, I had to, I had to like take five math classes, you know, and I sat there and like, I didn't understand what the, it was foreign to me. So I had to get tutors and I had to really work on it. And I finally got all the way up to statistics. If you ask me one question about, I don't know anything about math, nothing. There's only one thing that I use in nursing and that's desire over have times volume. That's it. From all my math, that's all I know. Um, but I can figure most things out if I have to. And, you know, and then we have calculators and then I go to the pharmacist and said, can you do this for me? And, uh, they'll do it for me. <laughs> There's always someone more educated than you. <laughs> so I'm, I have been nursing for the last like 
18 years. I got my license in 97 and I've been working since 2001. And, and, and that has been, it's been a, it's been a great journey on that one. Um, right now I've been in the ER for 10 years and, and I see a lot of this disease. Um, uh, I've seen a lot of this disease. I see people that come in, um, you know, that, that, they're, they're homeless. They're living on the streets. They're in drugs, you know, or drinking, whatever it is. And they're, they're lost. And most of the times I say to them, I said, do you feel lost? And they look at me like, you see me. And I said, yeah, I do see you. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I get it. I, I said, do you think you're ready? And most of the time they say no. And if they say no, I'm, ba- I, I do what, I do what the book says. The book says if, if they don't want it, you can't give it to them. And I have people dying on gurneys that if they don't want to get sober, it doesn't matter what I say or what anybody says, they're not going to get this because there has to be a desire. There has to be some type of desperation that you're willing to do what anybody says to change. And I, that has been my experience. And all I can, when I talk from the podium, this has just been my experience in my journey. You're going to have your experience in your journey. Every, as many different ways as there are, I mean, people that there are in this room is as many different ways to get sober and it's all good. I don't judge your journey. And you know, if this has just been my experience and I don't tell people what I haven't done. So I, if I haven't done it, I'm not telling people to do it, you know? So, uh, when I talk to people and last night I was triaging people and the, th- the four people that I had last night towards the end of the night was all anxiety. And, um, it was, you know, they thought they were having heart attacks, young kids at 22 and it's anxiety and it's hard to grow up. There's not the, you know, there's not really books that say, Hey, growing up is difficult. You know, you're going to have your, it's going to be difficult trying to find a job, getting a career, getting in a relationship, having a family, paying your mortgage, paying your property taxes, you know, paying for retirement. It is difficult and it's not easy and you're not always going to feel good. That's growing up. But like what's happening now is like I talk to these kids because I have to kind of put in what they're, you know, what medicines are taking and stuff like that. And they're like, you know, I I tell you, I swear to God, if I get another 18 year old that tells me they're on medical marijuana, I'm like, what are you on medical marijuana for? I mean, in the old, that is for cancers. I mean, this is opinion. It's for cancers. It's for, it's for, you know, things like seizures, um, multiple sclerosis, some pain things that, you know, if that's what that stuff is for, but if you can't sleep, I'm not a big fan of that because the thing is, is you start taking that and you don't deal with what's going on. I would love somebody to say to me, well, I've done counseling. So I've been in counseling for like six or seven months and this is what we decided upon. That makes sense to me. You know, doing some work, you don't jump from I'm having a problem to I'm taking a pill. That's what I'm doing. I'm taking a pill. You have to do some work on the other things. So, you know, when people come in and they're like hypertensive, it's like, well, let's look at all the things that's going on. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're stressed about stuff. And I have to say, like nine out of 10 times that we get people in that they're like having chest pain, half of the time it's due to stress. It's there's, they're having some stressful situation in their life that they're clamping down. They're not taking deep breaths or kind of going like this. And after a while, the heart says, Hey, I'm not getting enough air and it feels tight and there's pressure. And you know, it's, it's not a heart attack. It's, it's stress. Um, stress is, stress is hard on the body. Stress over many, many years can give cancers. Um, they're finding that now too. So, um, I'm a really big advocate of like, I tell people all the time, like, are you in any counseling? And they're like, no. And I'm like, yeah, you need to get some counseling. You need to talk. And what you were talking about writing, writing, talking, getting in touch with what's going on underneath. You have the iceberg here, but there's this big thing underneath that's going on. And if you don't talk about that, it doesn't matter what you take. You're only masking it 
for a period of time and that thing's going to blow up on you and you're, it's going to blow up on you and you're going to not be able to deal with life because you were taking a pill or you were smoking or you were, you drinking through all of this craziness because you didn't want to face reality. And I think if we do more talking and do therapy, I'm not, I'm not a therapist, so I'm not, you know, I mean, I think therapy is great. I think do talk, do some talking, you know, do if you have a best friend, go for walks on the beach, talk about your life, do something that relieves the stress. And then maybe you won't need these substances. Uh, I mean, in the olden days, they were like, you don't get to use anything from the neck up. That's it. I've been through, I've been through a year of depression. I remember around my 12th year of sobriety. I just didn't want to live anymore. I didn't get it. I didn't want to live anymore. And I went to, I was in counseling and I went to a group and, uh, I just kept saying, this is going to pass. This is going to pass. This is going to pass. And I didn't, you know, you just get that where you wake up in the morning and you're like, I don't want to get dressed. I don't want to do anything. The only thing that saved me is I went to a job every single night and I did eight hours of work and then I'd come home and sleep and then I'd sleep most of the day and I went back to work and I went to therapy once a week. And, uh, that's, that work saved me. It gave me something to do. It gave me like, I've got to go and show up and not think about myself in my head for eight hours. And that saved me. And then, um, some, one day it just lifted. It just, I woke up and I'm like, I don't feel like that anymore. This is, uh, things are getting better. And, uh, there have been times in sobriety that I've had to check in with therapy that it's like, I'm not doing well. I'm just not doing well. I probably should have checked in the last couple of years because there's a vibration going on that's very uncentering for me. Um, I, I don't, I, I, it's like, I feel people vibrations and I'm just kind of, you know, eight years ago, I wasn't doing that. But today I'm kind of like this all the time. It's just like a vibration that I just ain't settled with. But, you know, when you got to pay your mortgage and your property taxes and your bills, and I have a couple of cats, I like to rescue animals now. It's like something that I like to do. I didn't have children, so I rescue cats. Um, I'm up to nine. So, of course, everybody thinks, everybody says she's the crazy cat lady. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with that. They'd be dead on, you know, being on the streets. I'm okay with saving animals. Um, I, uh, that, that's like expensive cat food, kitty litter, and taking to the vets is about 500 to $600 a month. That could be a vacation once a year, but I made my choices and I'm okay with that. Um, 10 minutes. You're kidding. What happened? What's this like now? Okay. So, um, yeah. So, um, you know, I'm current with my sponsor. I love her very much. She helps me a lot. Um, there are times I got married in sobriety. You know, it was on AA's campus. We met here. Um, you know, it was, it was at one of these, it was an old town speakers meeting. He was on crutches and I went over to him and I'm like, Hey, you need a nurse? And I was just kidding, but it just. <laughs> But he was like, well, yeah, you know, and then, and then we started dating and that, you know, and then, you know, a year, there were some red flags, but a year into it, my sponsor, um, was like, I was like, what do you think? And she's like, well, maybe it's the next indicated step. So we got married and then, um, and then we got divorced. And, uh, (laughs) the funny thing is he is a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the funny thing is, is like, we were only together for three years and then he left and went and did his Mary thing for a while. And then his job that he works with, there was a, like, a bad, you know, the, he works construction and stuff like that. And it went bottoms up in 2008 and was, I said, why don't you just come back and live on that side of the house? Because I had the, my home is like two bedrooms and a bath and two bedrooms and a bath. I said, just live over there. So we were together there for 10 years. <laughs> 
best friends. And it's like, who does that insanity? You know, but we did and we made it work. And he's like one of my best friends. He really is one of my best friends. Um, today he came over and helped me weed my backyard because it's just that high of weeds, you know, and we did 18 bags of weeds, 16 or 18 bags of weeds, you know, and so he's my friend and we're good. We're friends. And that's, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have that any other way. I don't feel like I remember for six months I was, I was at La Jolla speakers meeting one night and he was there and I was like, I was so mad. I was so mad in that first six months. And that they said, would you um, be the 10 minute speaker? And I was like, absolutely not. Because I'm like, if I get up to the podium, I'm going to start spewing my hate and I can't do it um, because I was just so angry. And so I even think I left the meeting that night and I don't ever do that. Um, but we've, you know, we, we, we did a four step with each other. We made amends to each other and now we're clean. You know, I don't owe him anything. He doesn't owe me anything and we're good friends. Um, and I, you know, that's how I think we're supposed to be, you know, um, where are we now? So I was born in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> Did I go too fast? Okay, thank you. Um, so two minutes. No, it is not. Two, oh God. Okay. So, um, so um, you know, this has been the best deal in town for me. I mean, I got a cup of coffee this morning in a shower. I have been overpaid for the day. I have been overpaid for the day. Um, I have had some choice, you know, some great experiences to go on some medical missions to other countries. And I'm hoping to go to Nepal this year. I don't know if I can afford it, but I'm hoping to go to Nepal. And, um, you know, when you go to people that don't get medical attention and they will sit there for eight and 10 hours and they don't say a word. And if we tell them we can't see you today, we're at too many, they will sleep on the grass outside and they will come back the next day. And they just sit there and all they want is for somebody to, you know, maybe, you know, look at them and say they're okay and, um, give them some, some help because maybe they're suffering from arthritis or whatever it is. Um, we are so fortunate here. When I came back from Europe, I remember going into a grocery store and like looking at all the fruits and vegetables and going, Oh my God, this is, I can't believe how good I have it here. I am so fortunate. And today my life is about like, I was sitting in the backyard with some of my cats walking around and the butterflies that are coming up. There were like, you know, butterflies are like, I mean, in an hour you can count like a hundred and they're like going out, you know, and hopefully my cat doesn't kill one and the birds and the sun. And just like, I live in an exceptional life and I would have missed it. I would have missed it. I see people miss it all the time. I've seen people fallen because they were drunk and get brain bleeds and they die. I see people that crash their car and they die. I see people that are riding bikes and they break their neck and they die because they're drunk. Um, crystal meth is like, oh, that's a whole nother thing. Um, that's like a, that's an awful drunk. Because that makes your brain crazy after several years of using that stuff. You know, I mean, we are the fortunate ones. If you're trying to get sober, just stay with us. We don't care what you believe in. Just stay with us. Come to meetings. Try to shake hands with somebody. If you're having a bad day, say, can I talk to you? Just stay with us because it's about staying here, staying put, finding a better way of life. I know it's here. Everybody that's drinking and used that I've met that has come back, not one of them has come back and said, it was so good out there. I had such a great time. I'm just, it's so great. All of them come back and said, my life is shit. And I, I, I don't want to go back to that. This is freedom. 
I have absolute freedom in Alcoholics Anonymous. I can say anything. It comes with consequences. I have said things that have pissed people off, um, and it comes with consequences. You just have to be willing to pay the consequences, like having nine cats. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, the one thing that I can say is, like, when I was young and I looked up at the stars and thought, I don't belong here, I now feel like I'm one among many. I just want to be a worker among workers. I just want to do whatever I can to make the world a better place. Be kind, be loving, you know, give. And if you want to be happy, help someone. You know, it's very hard to be depressed if you're helping someone because what happens is you find that somebody has it worse than you and that your bed isn't that bad. You know, and uh, you're, it helps you to get out of yourself. And I thank God that I work days because for 12 hours, I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about something else and I can't think about myself. Um, so I, I, I like being able to work. And even if you can't work, I don't know, help, you know, drive people somewhere, call somebody on a phone, you know, garden, um, take a dog for a walk. I mean, volunteer, you know, the main society, they need people walking dogs. There's nothing better than healing than walking animals and being with animals. There's something about animals that heal us. They just know our souls and they're this, they just want to sit with us. They just want to be with us. So, uh, you know, for me, Alcoholics Anonymous, is, do I have five minutes? Okay. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, <laughs> so don't get married. No, uh, <laughs> not in AA. Uh, no, you know, it, the, the thing over here, these guys didn't have that when they first got sober. The, the Washingtonians started and then you had the Oxford group and there were six tenants that they had. And out of the six tenants, they, they kind of brought this about. And so, you know, I don't make it, I try not to make it really complicated. I know that there's a thing called the big book, um, the big book awakenings. And I went to that for a little while and, but it was so interesting to me. I kept wanting to go, but you're reading the black print. I don't get it. You're, you're reading the black print. You didn't start anything new. What, this is the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't get it. What do you, it's not new. And I just felt like that, you know, people had such a hard time. They didn't feel like they were doing it right. And people like, I mean, they were having anxiety attacks, meltdowns. And I'm like, listen, go back to the big book and just read the black print. It's in there. That's where the truth is. We have to do what those guys did, the founding fathers, the first 100, and just keep doing what they did. It, it's not really complicated. Don't drink for 24 hours. Go to a meeting. Trust God. And if you don't know anything about God, that's absolutely fine too. If you want God to be like the doorknob, the whales in the oceans that seem to know how to go back and forth every year without a clock, Without a navigation system, trust that. I, you know, in, with science, fan of science, um, you know, there's something like 450,000 galaxies. We're in one galaxy with one Earth planet. Do you think there's anything like this on another galaxy? Probably. Probably. So what do I know about God? I know nothing. I go to church. I like church because church centers me. It makes me quiet. Um, I like, I like what I learn. It challenges me to help others. It challenges me to try and be a better person. There's nothing wrong with that. So I go to church. I'm mad at my church a little bit right now. I'm Methodist. They just voted that gays can't get married in the church and you can't have a gay minister. And I'm like, well, that's bullshit, you know, because it's like, do, do they think straight people cornered the market on what's normal? Half of us in a divorce, you know, I mean, come on, where do gay kids come from? 
straight marriages half the time. You know, so what the hell? I mean, we did not corner the market on what's normal. Go to my, yeah. So, you know, so I, I'm having a little problem with that, but I still go to church. I love church. I love, I love the traditional thing. Um, and I love sitting. I love trying to be quiet because I don't do it very much. I wouldn't be a very good Buddhist because they actually have to sit and meditate for hours. And I'm like, I mean, a minute and a half and I'm done. I'm done. You know, so I, there's a lot of work that I still have to do. And so I, you know, I hope that if you're having a hard time in Alcoholics Anonymous, grab someone. If somebody has time, they have no problem sitting and talking to you at all. You know, I mean, that's what we're here for. We're here to carry the message, to help the newcomer, to give away what we've learned and to, to be kind to be kind. I hope you guys continue to stay sober. If you fall off the wagon, come back. We know that this is the better way. Some guy up here a couple of weeks ago said, drunk, bad, sober, good. It's not really complicated. I need to get a shirt that says that. Drunk, bad, sober, good. Because this is the better way of life. You're awake and you can able to see below the iceberg and get to things. And so that's that's the journey. I wish you all well. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.